1: Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrowcom slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation.
0: They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to
1: recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Boris Johnson contradicts his own scientists as Keir Starmer shakes up his cabinet. I'm Jessica Elgott, chief political correspondent of The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly.
3: The target that we've set ourselves is to offer a booster to everyone eligible by the end of January.
0: On Tuesday morning, masks once again became mandatory in shops and on public transport, as the government and the country tries to assess the seriousness of the latest COVID-19 variant named Omicron. Boris Johnson is ramping up his booster campaign, offering all over 18s a third jab by the end of January. But almost as if we're experiencing déjà vu, he and other ministers are dismissing concerns that we'll have to cancel Christmas.
3: On your, your point about uh, Christmas uh, parties and, and nativity plays, we don't want people to cancel such events. We, uh...
0: So are we just living through Groundhog Day? Is the government following the science? Also this week... I'm not sure the details of the reshuffle, but I do know that what we have to do is show that we are a government in waiting. Keir Starmer surprised most of us, including his deputy leader, by carrying out a reshuffle of the shadow cabinet on Monday. So it seems like the perfect week to sit down for an exclusive first interview with Starmer's former director of communications, Ben Nunn. That's all in this week's Politics Weekly. But first, let's look at the government's latest COVID-19 plans. To discuss that, I'm joined by The Guardian columnist, Gabby Hinsliff. Gabby, it's lovely to have you on. And we haven't talked about COVID on the podcast for a while now, which is probably a good thing. There's a lot of other things that have been dominating the headlines. But we should talk about it now, because there's a lot of experts worried about these developments. Uh, and we had previously been warned that that new variants, um, like the ones that's that emerged, Omicron, could could cause issues with the vaccine programme. Do you think the government... Is prepared for this kind of scenario? Does it seem prepared?
2: I think everyone's always known that a new variant could arise. And, and the worry was that it was going to arise here, actually, given our very high caseload. So it's not sort of wildly unexpected that the variant has emerged that's troubling. And I think government has has known what to do in the early stages of that. You know, it's acted faster than it did Last time, when we had Delta emerging, you know, the the government was very slow to put India on the red list, but this time it's put South Africa on a red list quickly. You know, there's slightly less burying the head in the sand than there was... Last time, but in a way, we're at the easy stage at the moment. I do think the next three weeks or so are going to be very nervous ones until we've worked out exactly what this new variant's capable of, and whether government is willing to respond appropriately if it turns out that it is at the sort of worst end of expectations and we need further restrictions. I mean, this
0: is ultimately the worst nightmare for for Boris Johnson, but also for government scientists because they are faced. Probably, with a Prime Minister who would probably rather push the nuclear button than than put us into another lockdown for Christmas, and what do you think it would take for him to be convinced to take further steps I mean masked in in shops and public transport are you know pretty minimal extra restrictions compared to what we've seen previously.
2: They are, and the thing is that what we've done so far is relatively easy economically. Apart from anything else, it's not just that you know that these are relatively palatable to the public. You know, a few Tory MPs will kick off about mask wearing, but there's widespread public support for that. You know, but the next steps are not only difficult for people if they mean that we can't have the kind of Christmas we're expecting. But they also have serious economic impact. I mean, if you're looking at things like moving to working from home, restrictions on socialising, then that's, I think, why you've seen government come down like a ton of bricks on Jenny Harris, the head of the UK Health Security Agency, she now is, when she suggested that people shouldn't socialise if they didn't need to, because that's very much not the message the government wants to get out. Although I suspect it's a conclusion that a lot of people are coming to for themselves. You know, You're already starting to see office parties being being... being cancelled, that sort of thing. And I suspect people will be asking themselves as we get closer to Christmas, do I really need to do this? Do I need to do this if it means that I might be isolating over Christmas? Yeah, I mean, that's the difficult thing, isn't it, for
0: pubs and restaurants, but also, you know, those those kind of events like children's nativity plays or office Christmas parties that we kind of expect around this time of year. People are going to think, aren't they, is it worth the risk going to these places because what it could lead to is me having to self-isolate or getting sick over over Christmas? Um, And and do you think we should start to see people take things into their own hands as we often have over the course of this pandemic when the government's been too slow to act?
2: I think that's what's happened in the past. You know, we've seen people starting to take the law into their own hands because they can see what's coming down the line. And especially so this year, having had the experience last Christmas of government continuing to say, no, it's fine, everyone go ahead, you know, have yourselves a very, merry little Christmas. And people looking at the numbers thinking, "Um, I really don't think that's where we're going. And that's what often I think the sort of anti-lockdown camp doesn't take into account. If government does not act, in the end, people will if they become sufficiently frightened you know, and this is all, of course, predicated on assumptions about Omicron that, that we can't be sure about, you know, we don't know how effective the vaccines will be against it. But the lesson so far in this pandemic has been generally, go hard, go early, it's a lot easier to relax the rules if it turns out you've overreacted than it is to catch up with the virus if you've underreacted. And the, the, the sort of big push that Boris Johnson is
0: counting on, and again, you know, this is something that is in a way easy to do, as you said about masks on public transport, is expand that booster programme to offer booster jobs to all adults by the end of January,
2: Um, another additional pressure on the NHS it puts enormous pressure on the NHS and if they're diverted into a vaccination program you've already seen NHS leaders warning will that have implications for our work to tackle the backlog of people who haven't been treated you know it's going to have an impact on waiting lists those are things that people will notice and feel if they're wanting treatment for the NHS for other things than COVID so it's not a risk-free undertaking to say that you're going to do that. One of the um... Pressure points the government's also coming under is on on
0: travel. I mean, that's another, you know, as well as hospitality, that's another seriously beleaguered industry. Lots of people might be thinking about cancelling pre-Christmas travel plans if it means that they're going to have to to isolate and wait for their, their test. And there's been a leak this morning to the BBC from Sage, the scientific advisory group for emergencies that advises the government on uh, on many things, but also but particularly on COVID at the moment, um, saying that its members think that pre-departure tests would be very valuable. PCR tests are you know need, needed to be reintroduced at day five or day eight instead of just just day two, which is the the, the change that was announced at the weekend. Again, do you think the government's prepared to take that step? They've, they've come under a lot of pressure from you know,
2: MPs and from certain arms of the media about, about those tests. And it's not just that. Actually, it's interesting. One of the first things um, that Yvette Cooper did in about five minutes after being made shadow home secretary was to write to government arguing that the um, travel restrictions needed to be tighter. Again, that has big economic implications. You know, Christmas is a time when lots of people are flying, going to see family. So again, there are huge implications of doing this. Um, And it may be that government will feel, you know, it's no longer possible to stop Omicron coming into the country. There's a a limit to how much that we can restrict imported cases. But I think there is going to be serious pressure for tighter travel restrictions, particularly if it looks as if um, Omicron is spreading fast here and we don't want to deal with more cases being seeded as well. And one story today
0: that's dominating some of the headlines is about last year's Christmas, What well, Christmas I think many of us would prefer to forget, but that there was potential lockdown rule breaking by the government inside number 10 parties in um Carrie johnson's flats a-, a leaving party um for you know well there was there was a i think we recall a bit of a clear out of downing street staff um about this time last year but the government's denying it i mean you can imagine, can't you, that people have a, you know, people who are working together closely end up having a drink together, especially in very stressful times. And does that count as a party, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. But do people do people care about this stuff now? That one rule for them thing coming round again.
2: I mean, I think there's been some fairly epic rule breaking within government. If you think about Dominic Cummings, it's sort of the infamous trip to. Barnard Castle which people did care very much about indeed this isn't the first story either we've heard about a fair bit of laxity in Downing Street you know, Boris and Carrie Johnson have already had to fend off stories about Carrie's friend Nimco Alley being with them for Christmas last year obviously during a, a lockdown when most people were spending Christmas on their own and they had to say oh well it's you know she was part of our childcare bubble so that was allowed I think public are probably as aware as they're ever going to be now that there's been a fairly relaxed attitude to the rules for number 10. And I'm not sure that anyone who hasn't already been shocked by that is going to be shocked by this, to be honest. And
0: the other thing that might trouble Johnson more around this time is is the reaction of his Tory MPs. Again, people like Steve Baker, um, Esther McVeigh, Mark Harper, the people who are very sceptical about any covid restrictions whatsoever um they've been quieter than usual um or focused on other things like like tax rises um and now even though these restrictions are voted through by a large majority because Labour backs them there is a, a group of, of Tory MPs who prepare to make trouble for Johnson do you think he's he's bothered by um, that skepticism within his own party probably might have been one of them if he'd not been
2: the prime minister in many ways i think that's why he's bothered i mean yes of course there's a there's a numbers issue but also you know imagine boris johnson had never become prime minister imagine he was still a telegraph columnist what would he be doing now he'd be writing columns saying you know buck up britain we can get through this we got through the blitz we shouldn't be deterred by a bit of covid you know fling your masks to the wind and let's all have a jolly christmas that would be his Innate instinct, and he would be kicking lumps out of any government that was being, as he saw, it, overcautious. And I, I think he still struggles with that in a sense. You know that that wing of backbench Tory thinking is not a million miles from his own sort of gut instinct.
0: Finally, I mean, it's been a and it's been a difficult autumn for Boris Johnson generally. Um, and now that he's facing, you know, this battle to to save Christmas. And actually, I, th- I think what we've seen is when the governments had to sort of take on battling COVID. Do you think that that could actually be something that helps, you know, rescue his ratings a bit if, if they can if, if they can avert disaster over the holidays?
2: I don't think we're going to get another another vaccine bounce, another equivalent of that sort of feeling of relief, you know, when when the vaccines came in and it was all over last year. Because I think we're almost at that stage where people think you know, they've had enough of this. That's what the vaccine was meant to get us out of. You know, we were meant to be coming into better times now. It was meant to be all over. We were meant to be putting it behind us and learning to live with the virus. And I think even if, you know, this this particular um, concern turns out not to be that much of a big deal or if if government gets through it unscathed. I think it's just that there's always that underlying current of anxiety, drumbeat of anxiety, Sarah Vine says in in the Mail this morning, you know, that people are having to live with. That's what they resent and that's what they're starting to hold against government.
0: Gabby Hinsliff, as always, thank you very much. Thank you. After the break, Starmer's new top team and how Labour might capitalise on Tory turmoil. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Politics Weekly. I'm Jessica Elgott, Chief Political Correspondent for The Guardian. Now, what did Labour's shake-up reveal about Starmer's plan for Labour? The surprise reshuffle announcement seemed to take the limelight away from Angela Rayner, who was giving a big speech on sleaze in politics. But after a bumpy few hours, order was eventually restored and key positions were filled. Big winners included Yvette Cooper as Shadow Home Secretary, who will be taking on Priti Patel and David Lammy, who will shadow the Foreign Secretary Liz Truss, and Lisa Nandy, who was handed the newly created role of shadow levelling-up Secretary, taking on Michael Gove. The shadow Front benches are looking decidedly less left than in recent years. But is this an election-winning Labour team? I spoke with Keir Starmer's former Director of Communications, Ben Nunn, who'd been at his side for many years and was in post the last time the Labour leader tried to carry out a reshuffle. So what did he make of this one?
3: I think it's a good reshuffle. I think it's a good team. I think there are some good appointments that have been made and appointments that fit the characters of the Shadow Cabinet to good briefs. I'm thinking Lisa at levelling up, I think is good. I think David Lammy in Foreign is good. And I think Wes into Health is good. In many ways, I've always been an outsider in the Labour party in that I've never been particularly factional. And so that's are, a bit like
0: Keir in a way. He's not. He doesn't come from a long tradition of fighting for a faction,
3: right? I think that's right. I think there is a comparator there. I mean, my approach to politics, and I do think there are comparisons with Keir. My approach to politics has always been: what can we do to get Labour into government? How can we get Labour back to a position where it's winning again? So my reflection on the Chatter Cabinet is: it's a good, it's a good reshuffle. There's some good appointments, and it is more about getting Labour back to winning than it is about ideology.
0: Was this the reshuffle he wanted to do last spring?
3: I worked for the Labour Party for six years and I had many, many, many highs in that time and I had my fair share of lows and I don't think it's a secret to say that that reshuffle in May wasn't a highlight of my time in the Labour Party, not least because, here's an anecdote, that Saturday when it all kicked off was my wife's birthday. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and, I bet that's how she wanted to spend
3: it. Uh, it, it it wasn't, and <laughs> um and so some of the accusations that were made be we made that this was some kind of plot and I was involved and all that kind of stuff. I, my wife can attest that that was not true. Um, but I think look, I think it's. Fair to say, Keir's got the team he wants. And also, what I'd also say on reshuffles more generally, we overanalyze them, we overread into them sometimes. You know, 99% of the country wouldn't have noticed a reshuffle happened yesterday. They wouldn't notice a cabinet reshuffle happened, really. Most of the country are getting on with their lives. And so the individuals are important, but the more crucial thing is what's the argument this new team is going to take to 2024? And how's that going to get Labour back into power?
0: The one person who seemed a bit blindsided by Monday was Angela Rayner. I mean, do you think it was a mistake? It was clearly a mistake not to involve her in the spring, or you know, or to not not make sure she was on board with some of it before. Before it leaked out to some of her her pals, but do do you think that it's their relationship is the is the issue, or is it is it more about you know other internal tussles going on?
3: I, I don't know what happened. I honestly don't know what happened, and I think it's quite small fry. I think ultimately, Keir got the reshuffle he wanted, and that's the most important thing. And what I would say about Andrew and Keir is some of the stuff we've seen in recent weeks shows the strength of that double team. The way they handled the sleaze stuff, um, they are. Both very, very good assets. Very good assets for the party. Focus on that, not process and grids and whose speech was win.
0: One of the things that was briefed yesterday, I it was that this this new team, which I, you know, I think it's fair to say, is is a sort of bit more of a decisive shift towards the centre of the party. But they are people who have experience of government and they are people who have got a lot of experience dealing with the media and of communicating. And do you think that that's been something that's been not as effective
3: from the shadow cabinet team up until this point? I think the bringing in people who understand what government is, and actually, what effective opposition is. Someone I've valued incredibly during my time, and, and and really always enjoyed working with someone like John Ashworth. It's actually really good in that regards because he knew what opposition was, he knew what government was, and a vet will bring that kind of skill as well. And actually, in many ways, Labour needs to be as an effective opposition as it is an effective government. I think on the. The media point of view, I think you cannot underestimate how difficult it is to secure cut through in the middle of a global pandemic, when the Prime Minister can click his fingers, get a press conference, and that hits the six and 10, and Labour is a 15 second clip at the end of it. Nor can we underestimate the extent to which the public are totally switched off from politics at the moment. So... Uh, I, and I willing think,
0: the government to succeed in a certain extent, gov- you know, every,
3: all of us wanted the government to
0: succeed in fighting a, a, a deadly pandemic.
3: Absolutely, and, and, and you know, the beginning of the year was a classic example. And Keir got this bang on in about November of last year. Kia said, "As soon as this vaccine happens, the government's going to get a massive bounce." And this is not forgetting this time last year, Labour was ahead of the polls. We certainly tied, if not ahead, at, on in certain polls.
0: I mean, there were there were a catalogue of extremely awful government errors during that period yes, of time, wasn't yeah. there? I mean, there was the, the you'd had the A level debacle, you'd have you know Dominic, a, 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 Dominic Cummings yeah. you'd leaving, you'd have, but even before that, you'd had you know a sort of refusal to go back into lockdown as cases were spiking, the debacle around Christmas. In a way, Labour. <laughs> <laughs> Labour were ably assisted in that, in getting ahead in the polls there.
3: Possibly. It might be a seasonal thing with Johnson because th- th- <laughs> like this, 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 this last few weeks has not exactly been a highlight. It must be something that happens to him over winter. But on the point of kind of, you know, the environment here and Labour's been operating in in the past kind of 18 months or so has been shrouded by a pandemic where most of the country, you know, what do my friends and family cared about? They cared about whether or not they were going to have a job, whether or not they were going to get a vaccine and whether or not they were going to be allowed in the pub and in the end Johnson was able to achieve that and it would have been utterly wrong for Labour to have opposed some of those things so I I always think the media cut through angle it's it's slightly unfair but what I would say, people like Wes people like Lisa people like David are very good media performers and there is no doubt that certainly within the lobby and within Westminster that will boost them and give them a bit of a stronger platform going forward
0: from my perspective i think what we've seen from starmer in the the past few weeks which has been interesting is that there had been i think for the time since he arrived and for some reasons that you set out quite a lot of caution not really wanting to take much of a dividing line with the government on covid restrictions mainly because the government were imposing quite harsh ones apart from probably calling from a bit earlier you know cautious around things like the sarah everard vigil not calling for people's heads to go and then using this kind of vague word like sleaze which kind of i don't know if that necessarily has the the same cut through from my perspective as as calling it corruption which is something that he's started to do quite recently and i think you know when it comes to in passing cases there's very little else you can call it do you think he needs to be bolder going forward has there been too much caution
3: I don't accept the idea Keir's cautious. I just totally reject it. Keir's response to the EHRC report was strong. It was decisive. And I'm not talking about Jeremy here. I'm talking about how Keir responded. um, When Keir argued internally and externally that Labour should vote for the Brexit deal, because in the end it was the right thing to do. That was a strong decision. A lot
0: of these the are arguments with his own party, though, that he's been able to take on.
3: But that is still in the end, if you don't take if you don't have arguments with your party, you're not going to be able to take arguments with the country. So I, I but I don't accept it. I think it was strong. And again, and I don't like you know, I know these individuals, but when, when he took the decision to ask Rebecca Long Bailey to leave the Shadow Cabinet, that was a strong decision. So he is strong, he is decisive, he does take them.
0: Do you think Obviously, we're seeing, as we we've sort of briefly touched on, a, a, a Labour making gains in the polls mm. and a lot of that aided by this, this, this kind of return of politics as normal, although, you know, we might be seeing a return to politics as the new normal over this Christmas. We all hope that we're not. But um, that, you know, the Tories have been able to make some pretty big domestic announcements and, you know, whether it's social care or whether it's They've got Leveling Up uh, white paper on its way. Whether it's whether it's the big um, rail infrastructure announcements, not all all of which have been things that Labour have been able to get their teeth into mm-hmm. and criticise. Yeah. Um, do you think that that's 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 aided it, and how how does that work going forward?
3: I, I think there is an element of politics returning to normal. What I think is my interpretation of it, and, and if I was still in there, and if I was still working for care, or if I was to see care in the pub today. What I would say to him is that there is a compelling narrative you can say about this government now, which is that it's on the economy, it's high tax, low growth, low pay. And I'd bang on about that day after day after day. That economic argument about high tax, low pay, low growth, I think should be the defining argument for Labour in the next year. They've,
0: they've missed that in a way, haven't they? There hasn't been a kind of, ref- you know, there has been one rule for them a, a bit, but there hasn't been a kind of refrain drummed in that the Tories are so good at getting getting those kind of catchphrases into people's minds about what their offer is or what they're, what they're campaigning against. Well, I
3: think I don't entirely accept that, because I, I don't entirely accept that. But the second thing I'd say is there is a good characterization you can do of this Prime Minister now, which is that he over-promises and underdelivers. delivers And in five years' time, he would have broken the promise of the country to make this a better place. He would have broken that fundamental promise. And it allows Labour to come in at the back and say, we will deliver on that promise. We will make this a better country. The Tories have had it for 15 years. They just failed on that fundamental truth.
0: I mean, it seems a bizarre thing to say because Labour seems to actually come out with quite a lot of policies, like sort of small ones quite regularly. But there are sort of fundamental things, you know, sort of laying out the infrastructure policy, you know, the the alternative social care policy. When's the right moment to do that? I take the argument midterm isn't necessarily the time to do that, but Labour is going to have to do that at some point, isn't it?
3: It is. It is. Um, but I, th- I think there is the moment you need to set out your overarching platform for the country and set out some of the big ticket items. I think in the end, you need to do that as close to the general election as you think possible. My personal view is I don't think there'll be election until 2024. What you need to use these interim years for is fixing the party, getting the party ready for an election,
0: which can lead to accusations that you're too focused on the party—that is, that's that's a bear trap that you fo- that you're falling.
3: It might be a bear trap, but for the public, they don't care. I I just think speak to the public at the moment. They don't care about politics. They just don't, and and nor should they. The public are what the public you should expect are. They they care about their job, their family. They're a bit worried about you know the education system, and so you should use this period when the public are. Focus on their lives to fix your party, because that will allow you to. When the election is called, when the public turn on to politics for the first time, properly, I, you know, they they are first asked to make a decision. They will look at both parties and go right. I think you're ready for government, and Kia can go out there and say, look, I fixed the party. It's ready. We are ready. You've got a good team here. This is my program. Let's go forward.
0: And Keir's view in in fixing the party isn't look. Let's show that we're no longer a divided party. Everyone's all together. Look, we've got a real mix of people in the shadow cabinet. Jeremy Corbyn said sorry. We're bringing him back in. His is no. I'm the boss. And it doesn't matter how whether Angela Rayner gets upset about not being involved in a reshuffle or not, and briefs a bit, or it doesn't really matter that Jeremy Corbyn's just sort of hanging on in limbo. I'm the boss, and I'll I'll make those decisions. Is that his theory?
3: I, th- I think strength is an important part of politics. And that's why I, I accept there are times when you know, we didn't communicate things right. Um, I'll I, I always accept that. To be honest, I always think about fixing the party less about the politics of it. It's about the infrastructure of the party. We've got to remember Labour didn't lose 2019. We lost 2019, 2017, 2015 and 2010. We keep losing elections. Now, part of that is policy, part of that is politics, but it is also about, has it got the right structures around it to make it an effective campaign operation?
0: Last question. When you when you left working for Keir, did you think that, did you genuinely believe that Labour were capable of winning the next election?
3: Yes. Yes.
0: You, and do you still believe it now?
3: Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And... I, I really, really do. I really do. I think the public could get to a situation in four years' time when they go, do you know what? We've had a lot of promises and nothing delivered. We're paying more tax, but our services are worth. I think it is now time for a change. So, yes, I do. Ben Nunn, thanks ever so much for joining me. Thank you very much.
0: And that's all from us this week. Make sure to listen to Friday's episode of Politics Weekly Extra As Jonathan Friedland speaks to Abdul El Said about Islamophobia in American politics, after an incident between two House representatives a couple of weeks ago. But for now, I want to thank our guests, Gabby Hinsliff and Ben Nunn. The producer was Yolene Gafan. I'm Jessica Elgott. Thanks for listening. This is The Guardian.